One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abitha, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Well, as we've said in all of these lessons, the Ten Commandments are God's first revelation of His will for an entire nation of people, and they are still the finest example of a moral national law ever given. My kindergarten teacher's name was Janie Brown. To this day, she is still one of my favorite teachers uh, that I ever had. And there are lots of things that I remember fondly about her class, but one of them will be familiar to a lot of you, nap time. Everybody remembers that from kindergarten, right? You go get the mats, you lay them out all over the floor of the room, everybody lays down, turn the lights off, get a bit of a time of rest sometime through the afternoon. And I remember, what I remember was Miss Janie would take the kids who had trouble resting And she would put their mats close to where she was going to be over near her desk on that side of the room. And Miss Janie would lay down in the floor near them on her own mat to encourage them to get some rest. She, um, she, I, I, I remember it was always Tony and Shane. Those were the two kids I remember. Always, always got stuck near Miss Janie's desk. But why would she do a thing like that? Why would a kindergarten teacher do that? Was she sleeping? Well, obviously not. She knew better, okay? Um, did, she, did she need a nap? Maybe, but she didn't get to take one. Um, what was she doing then? Well, what she was doing was encouraging us, particularly Tony and Shane, who had trouble with it, to rest, to take some rest that she knew we needed. Tonight, We're going to circle back on the Ten Commandments, and we're going to look tonight at number four of the Ten Commandments. If you want to be turning your Bible over to Exodus chapter 20, you can do that. I want to remind you that in Hebrew, the Ten Commandments, as we typically translate them, can also be translated as the Ten Words. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the fourth word in the set, which begins in verse 8, and I'll put it here on the screen if you want to read along this time. In verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20, the fourth word from God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Tonight I want to talk to you about that command and some of the important principles that it has for the way that we live And some of the important principles that it teaches us, and this is probably the most important, about how God takes care of us. Because I understand that this commandment seems like it just means take a day off every week. But there is a lot going on in this one command. Okay? So, now, before we get very far into this at all, let's just go ahead and notice that the Sabbath, as it's talked about in this command and through the entirety of the Bible, the Sabbath fell on the seventh day of the week. And in the New Testament, the apostles led the church to assemble on the first day of the week. 
And so as soon as Christian churches started assembling, they assembled divinely guided, they assembled for their worship assemblies on Sunday, not on the Sabbath as it was observed by the Jews. However, even though we're meeting on the first day rather than the seventh day of the week, there is so much in the Bible about the Sabbath that shows us that it does matter for us. And there's so much that it can teach us. It's not just a matter of whether we meet on that day for worship. There is so much built into it more than that. And I think you'll see what I mean as I show you some of these passages that have something to do with it. The command about the Sabbath is given in two places. This is number one here from Exodus chapter 20. And both times, both times that the Ten Commandments are given, that they are rehearsed by God, this one is the fourth one. They show up in the same order and the same organization both times. There is one slight difference, though, between the two. From Exodus chapter 20, when God says this command there, he says, you shall keep the seventh day holy because the Lord created the, the earth and all that exists in six days, and he took the day off. On, on Saturday, and he sanctified that day. Okay, so that's Exodus 20. When you get to the list of Ten Commandments in, in De Deuteronomy chapter 5, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it puts it in a bit of a different context. It is because God set Israel free from slavery in Egypt. Now, I need you to have both of those in your head, and I need you to make sure, if it helps for you to write them down, make sure that you do that, because that's going to become important as we go through. But can I just ask you, why, here in Exodus 20, you're looking at it in the scriptures, why does he put it in context of God resting? Matter of fact, let's go more basic than that. Why did God rest when he had finished creation of the entire universe? Was God tired or was he just out of ideas? Was he brain dead from all the, you know, putting the cosmos together, right? Uh, is his voice shot from speaking, let there be, let there be, let there be? He sounds like Sherry Durbin right now. I'm just trying to, right? Is it that? No, obviously not. Obviously not. God is, what God is doing there, what God is doing there is laying down on the mat with us for rest time. What God is doing there is showing us a pattern that he is going to make a law in these two passages in Exodus and Deuteronomy, showing us that even when we have trouble with it, that there is somebody who has shown us a pattern and why this is important. And that's what this command, this fourth word, kind of does for us to some degree or another. It reminds us that God says it is an important principle for us to have a day for rest. So tying all of that together... That's like three different introductions in one, okay? Tying all of that together, what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is absolutely overload you with Bible passages and teachings on this subject. Seriously, this is a major overload. This is way too much information in way too short a time. I'm admitting that. I know it. That's why I gave you the study guide, okay? Those passages, out of those listed there on the, uh, on the page, those are just some of the passages that teach and reference about the Sabbath day. And there is so much about this concept in the Bible. I was utterly shocked when I started doing research to find out how much the Bible says on this subject. So what I'm going to do is just give it all to you. As I said, just dump it on you for a few minutes here. 
And then I want to go back and smooth out some of the wrinkles between all of these, and it will help us see why this simple command to take Saturday off is important enough to make it into the Ten Commandments. Okay? So here comes the list. This is the same one, I think, that you have there on your... Uh, on your study guide. And let me just talk to you about a couple of those. You can put stars next to them as we go through, okay? Exodus chapter 35, verses 2 and 3. We get essentially the same command with one addition, which is you shall not kindle fire on the Sabbath day. Why? Because that's, that's working on something to provide, take care of yourself, okay? Leviticus chapter 23, from verse 15 and the whole surrounding context there, God talks there about a feast of Sabbaths right? Pentecost, after seven Sabbaths have passed, you observe a feast. 49 days, the next day is day 50, Penta 50, see how it works, okay? It is a feast of Sabbaths. Chapter 25 of Leviticus, starting in verse 2, in that surrounding context, God talks about a Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee, that every seven sets of seven years, you take a year and give your fields a rest. You return all the land that you have bought to its original owners. All the slaves are set free in the year of Jubilee. Every seven Sabbath years, there is a Sabbath, Sabbath year. And I'm going to use that word way too much tonight. It's already getting, it's already getting close to a tongue tie for me. Sorry about that. But you see, you see, you see what's building here, okay? In Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, the Lord tells the uh, priests there that they are going to be offering specific special sacrifices on the seventh day of the week. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 23, in addition to that, God sets it up so that there are going to be special provisions for the Levites to play and lead worship in the temple on the Sabbath day. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 9, or sorry, chapter 10, in Nehemiah chapter 10, around the context of verse 31, when the people make a new covenant with God, they promise we will do no business, no trade, no commerce on the Sabbath day. When you get to Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 12 through 24, there one of the many condemnations that God levels against the Israelites through Ezekiel's book is that they have not been keeping the Sabbath day correctly. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 5, now, Amos 8, 5, uh, God talks about the people there and their attitude toward the Sabbath is, this is so wearisome. It's so wearisome to not be able to make money for ourselves, to do trade, to do some business on the Sabbath day. What a weariness this is. And then you get to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8. We're told the same thing that we were told in the passage read a few minutes ago, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's repeated in Mark chapter 2. It's repeated in John chapter 9. It's repeated again in Luke chapter 13. All four of the gospel writers use that phrase that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And then Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus goes to do some teaching, what day does he choose to go into the synagogue and do that? The Sabbath day when the people are going to be there. And then you get to this one in Colossians chapter 2, the last one on the list. In Colossians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you regarding festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. You got a lot of stuff going on there. And that's skipping still large chunks of this list and whole sections, whole chapters in fact, that are talking about this concept of the Sabbath day. And 
the more I studied this, the more I considered, first of all, breaking up this one sermon into two sermons. But then secondly, I realized, you know, we could probably do a whole quarter Bible study on just this one concept. Probably be pretty tedious, but we could do it. Because there's just so much more than I had expected. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm not breaking this up. We're going to just cram a lot into this one message tonight. But... Is anybody else surprised to hear that the Sabbath day already, that there's that much about it in the scriptures? I am. I just, it's genuinely surprising to me that it shows up in the history books, in the, in the poetry, it shows up in the prophets, and it shows up in all the different genres of the New Testament as well. It's pretty amazing to think about. Now, I say all of that to point out that there are a couple, there's a little bit more to this commandment than we typically, I think, would realize. And there are a couple things that show us that. Number one, number one, the volume of writing about the subject. That's a lot already. Number two, the fact that this unassuming command, take Saturday off, is in God's top ten. Still weird to me, right? I, I think I have a little bit better understanding of it in prepping for this m- message. But it's still a bit of a strange thing that such an unassuming command would have such a prominent place in the law. So that's number two. There must be something important for it to be there. And then number three, I want you to turn your Bible to Exodus 31. And I want to show you how, how I've come to give so much emphasis to this one command in this message tonight. And really, maybe this will lead to several of us talking about more, uh, more of this later. Um, But Exodus chapter 31, start reading with me in verse 12, and just listen to the way, the tone with which God talks about this day. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days you shall work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now take a look at the very last verse of the chapter here, verse 18. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony tablets of stone written with the finger of God. I think that last verse is important here because it puts a punctuation on all of this law that God is revealing to Moses on the mountain, right? That's where God finishes. He says this thing about the Sabbath and then period, done. That's the end, right? That is where the whole thing finishes. And so where does he leave the people? What does he leave them with? Well, he leaves them with these really heavy injunctions about keeping Saturday open. (laughs) And he uses some really heavy language about that, right? Forever language throughout all your generations. And then he's adamant about their not doing any work. He even prescribes the death penalty for disobeying such a seemingly simple law. And he puts it right here on the end 
so that it's the last thing that they hear, which you know, the last thing you hear is usually the thing you remember the best, right? From, from a presentation like this. So, do you think God is serious about the Sabbath day? That volume of writing, its place in the Ten Commandments, and it's punctuating the entire law that you deserve the death penalty for breaking this command. Do you think God is serious about it? Yeah. Yeah. So why? And really, that's been my biggest driving question in studying all of this. Why is it such a big deal? Well, as I say, I think if I show you, I think if I show you what can be learned from the Sabbath law, then all of us can begin to appreciate a little bit better why God puts so much emphasis on it. So let's spend the rest of our time. Let me give you three principles, three principles about the Sabbath day that sort of bind the whole thing together. The first one is the one I usually hear people talk about, and I think with good reason, so we'll do that. And the second two, the second two I think may be even more important principles for us to learn from what God says and does with this whole Sabbath idea. Okay, so first... The Sabbath has personal value as it reminds us of the importance of rest. It is a personal blessing that reminds us that we need rest. And this is what God is, this is, this is the idea that is inextricably tied to the Sabbath day because the way God wrote the law. And so back to our verses in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, six days you shall labor, but the seventh is a holy day, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, and on it you shall not do any work. It is a day of rest on the last day of the week. By the way, any of my VBS teachers take the Sabbath day yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I hope, you, I hope you got some rest. But it, because you need it. I mean, then there are plenty of points in life when you need that. And then God knows that we need that, which is why, part of the reason why he has given that to us. Now, that's important, I think, in our time, because in the way that we live and as a, as a society, we kind of see a, a busy schedule as like a badge of honor, right? I, I was reading an article um, on the, the daily schedule of Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, uh, that he gets up every morning at 3.45 a.m. and reads almost all of his seven or 800 emails before 5 a.m. every day and then is the first one to get to the office in the morning and is always the very last one to leave. And we look at that and he's got this you know, great write-up in uh, Forbes or USA Today or wherever it is about isn't that impressive. Now, do you think that's the way that God intends for you to lead your life as one of his people. Do you think that's what he intends? No, I think there's time that God intends. I know there's time that God intends for us to take downtime. Yes, there are seasons in life that are busy, but you do not want that kind of thing all the time. And then what about this? What about a restless mind? Somebody that says, you know, I just, it never settles down. I'm always thinking, I'm always rushing between ideas. I'm constantly multitasking in my head. Is that a healthy thing? When a person has no time to just sit and consider? Listen, this is a weird way to say it, but I think it's important for us to be bored every now and then. And just to sit with nothing on our minds and to enjoy the fa and to enjoy and contemplate something that is worthwhile and spend some time in that. And then what about this? We never, some of us never give our accounts, our money. We never give rest to our money. We live at the frazzled end of the financial rope. Do 
Do you think that brings security? Do you think that's what God intends for us is to have no money left over because it's all either being spent now or it's been spent and we're paying it back on our debts? That whole paycheck to paycheck, payment to payment, never save an ounce, never have any to do good deeds for others. Is that what God intends for us to do? And the answer is pretty obvious, no. What God intends is for us to have some margins in those areas of our lives. For us to have a little bit of wiggle room in those things. And so we learn to say no to some things, to carve out to carve out a little bit of extra money to make sure we can do good deeds for others. We learn to say no to some things so that our minds can be quiet and contemplative. We learn to say no to some things because we do need time. We need margins in our time. And maybe this, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of an odd choice of words there. So let me explain what I mean when I say margins. You take a piece of paper and um, you look at that family report and there's always a space between where the text stops and where the page ends. There's always that little gap there. That's the margin, right? Because if you print all the way to the end, you run right off the edge, you pay no attention, leave no margin at all. Inevitably, you lose some important information, part of a story, some news that you need to know, right? You're printing a picture and you leave no margins at all, and you've probably done this when you order prints somewhere, right? You leave no margins at all, or you don't know how they work, and you end up cutting Aunt Judith right out of the family shot, right? How does that happen? Well, it happens because we don't leave any space. And, and you will likely lose some important things. Matter of fact, I know you will lose something important in your life if you don't leave some margin between yourself, your current living, and your limits of living. And so make some time, cut something, create some wiggle room in the budget, give your mind something that brings peace and give yourself, give yourself the rest that God is trying to give. See, I think most of us are Tony and Shane from my kindergarten class, right? Most of us just kind of have trouble giving this to ourselves. And what God is doing is coming on the scene and saying, no, you need rest time. I know you don't think you want it. I know you don't see the value in it necessarily, but you need it. And he is compelling his people to take that and to be blessed by it. And so God designed you. He knows what you need. Take him, take him at his word. Even if you have to run at full capacity at various seasons of your life, don't stay there. Don't do that all the time. And remember the value of rest. Now, most of the time, that's the way that I hear the Sabbath talked about, and I think there is, there is value in that, and the principle that it is for each one of us in our personal lives. But I want to remind you that when you're looking at Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, they are not ten good rules for living. What they are is ten statutes for a federal law to be built on. This is a national idea. Okay? A whole nation is told to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And I think remembering that, the scale of this whole thing, should make us consider whether it has some bearing on the nation as a whole entity and not just the individuals within that nation. It must have some national value. And I think, I think in fact, that this may be its truer um, essence is the idea that it gives a national blessing in the demonstration that it makes of equality. 
This is absolutely fascinating to me. Now, you've got to remember for this to make sense. I need to do a little bit of history work here. Okay? You need to remember that when God gave the people this law, we're talking about the Middle East and we're talking about 4,000 years ago. And you need to remember as well that most of the world's ancient societies were built on the backs of slaves. And you need to remember as well that most of the world's ancient societies had pretty clear ideas about who was and who wasn't to be treated with common human dignity, right? They have pretty clear ideas about that for most of human civilization. So when you take that kind of cultural background into account, and then you go to Exodus chapter 20 and you read what that law actually says... You start to realize that if the Israelites had kept this simple Sabbath law as God had spoken it to them, then they would be the most egalitarian society and the kindest society that the world had ever seen up to this point. Here's how I know that, okay? Check it out. Here is the way that we typically think of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, on it you shall not do any work. Can I show you the rest of this same phrase, the rest of this same phrase from the text, and just remind all of us that the last bit of this says, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. Now, this is what has been the most eye-opening thing and the most interesting thing to me in studying this fourth word. It's not just for the breadwinners of the household that, hey, you've been working hard, you've been keeping the family going, you deserve Saturday off. It's not just for those people, for the father, the breadwinner, whoever it's going, you know, whoever's going to fill that role. It would make sense if that's what it was, but that's not, that's not what the law says. What makes the biblical Sabbath law unique and what makes it a little bit more than a Henry Ford five-day work week kind of idea is who was supposed to rest on Saturdays in the promised land? Everybody. When you are in the land of Canaan, when you are among the people of God, everybody rests on the Sabbath day. And so the breadwinner of the house, his children, their house guests, their animals, and yes, even the slaves, the servants. Everybody rests on the Sabbath day. And so what this does is equalize, level the dignity of all humanity in the eyes of God. That's pretty impressive to think about, isn't it? You ever heard of the, um, are you familiar with the, um, the holiday in the, U in the UK um, called Boxing Day? Right? This is the day after Christmas, and it originated, it originated when um, it, it kind of dates back to the days of servants and, and masters and the household servants. And so since the servants would be preparing you know, the Christmas meal on December 25th, and they would be helping the family with all of their stuff on the 26th, the master would turn things around and would get gifts for the servants, and they would have the day off, and they'd go visit family, and they would get a meal and all that fun stuff. Okay. And it kind of sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds like a really nice concept. And so Boxing Day is still a holiday over there, obviously observed very differently than it once was. But the tradition is nice to know. Now, that's nice all of itself, but that's once a year. Okay? What kind of nation 
has a national law that gives their servants a day off every week. Ever thought about that? It's actually quite revolutionary. Now, there's two kinds of nations that that could be. Number one, a society that follows God's plan. Number two, far and away, the most equitable society of the ancient world. And so you see, one of the great values of the Sabbath law is not just in the fact that it's nice to have a day off every week. If you read the law carefully, there is great value in the fact that this day of rest was for everybody. And there's something inherent in that which demonstrates the fact that all people are made in the image of God. And so every week, a master is reminded by God that even though he is the overseer of his servants, they are precious in the sight of God, just like he is. And so everybody, everybody finds rest Master, servant, old and young, male and female, everybody finds rest because God has given it. Now, this is made even more clear, lest you think I might be making too much of it in Exodus chapter 20. This is made even more clear when you read it from Deuteronomy chapter 5. You grab a Bible, let's go over there and read that real quick, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of you, I assume here, but I'm going to start in verse 12. The Holy Spirit says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now listen to this language. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You hear the equality, you hear the equating there. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because you were released from slavery, the Lord your God is commanding you to keep the Sabbath day. You see how God is reminding the people to pay attention to the fact that everybody matters. Every person made in his image, which is every person who is made, matters to God. And so, like all of their ancestors were slaves in Egypt and God gave rest to all of them from that, he wants to remember that red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. And he cares about everyone without prejudice. It's a powerful expression, actually, of universal human dignity. And the way that God cares for all of us. And so now you're starting to see some of the weight of this. That it's not just, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we had Saturday off from work? No, this is more than that. It would be nice. But it would also be deeply important to remember that God has given this to everybody. That he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That he is kind to the master and the servant. That he is kind to everybody. And that we really must take Jesus' words to heart here to be merciful as our Father is merciful. Luke chapter 6. We take that to heart. And he shows us a way that we can do that. And matter of fact, even built it into the national law. Pretty cool to think about actually. At least I think it is. I think there's something really powerful in all of that. Now, add to that this last realization here. 
Add to that this last realization, which is that the Sabbath is an ongoing blessing. It shows us, it shows us the pattern of God's grace going above and beyond to be kind to us again and again and again through his long history of caring about us. And so, yes, I, the Sabbath, and I'm not, this, is, this is on purpose that I'm saying this, the Sabbath, because of that pattern, is an ongoing blessing for us. It is not, and I think this is maybe important to restate here, it is not an ongoing command for us to observe. And I know this because of what Paul says to the Colossians, okay? Colossians chapter 2, here's the verse, the two verses, seem to make it pretty clear to me when he says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, because these are a shadow of things to come. And so in the way that the Bible usually works, we can expect that the shadow will eventually disappear and what we will see is the true reality. That's what we are intended to focus on. However, however, I want to make sure and notice the fact that the verse does not end right there. What the verse says is these are a shadow of the things to come and the substance belongs to Christ. Now that doesn't mean that these were a shadow of the things to come so God's going to just do away with any semblance of all of that and he's going to do something completely brand new with no relevance to the old thing at all. What it means is there's a lot of relevance in that old principle but it's going to be clear, more clearly defined coming forward. You're going to see the grander picture of what was already there. And so what's implied is that the Sabbath still has something to teach us. And what I think it teaches us possibly more than anything else is that God is a God of abundant mercy and grace. That may be the one thing that the Sabbath teaches us more than anything else. It shows us God's grace and encouraging us to find peace in worshiping and focusing on Him. You remember that the Sabbath was a day of worship at the temple. And you remember that the Holy Spirit tells, or that Paul tells us rather, that the Holy Spirit, His temple, is in our hearts. And so the Sabbath principle reminds us to continually sanctify time where the heart belongs to nothing except God. Sanctify the time in your heart to focus on Him and give Him glory. The Sabbath reminds us of the grace of God in the great plan of redemption. There's a really powerful connection to the fact that the Sabbath came from God resting from the work of creation and from God giving freedom from the oppressive tyranny of Egypt. Those two things, right? Well, you think about it. What day did Jesus rest in the tomb? The Sabbath day. He rested from the work of redemption while he is bringing freedom from the tyranny of sin. The Sabbath teaches us a powerful principle about God's grace in giving us life. And that's the next one here. That the, There is a principle here. There is the grace of healing and new life seen in the Sabbath day. I think this is the most comprehensive idea about the Sabbath day. Um, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite stories that has anything to do with the Sabbath is found in Luke chapter 13. Can we just turn over there and read that very quickly? In Luke chapter 13, uh, we'll, we'll kind of cut some of this short, um, but Jesus heals a, a woman 
who has had a, the English Standard Version says, a disabling spirit for 18 years. And he heals her on the Sabbath day. And somebody gets really mad at her and him for that. And so this is what he says to them in verse 15. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed of themselves, and rightly so. Because what is he teaching us about the Sabbath day? What he's teaching us is that it's not just a day where you be super careful and super nervous lest you accidentally violate this very tightly wound law that you might just overstep the bound and suddenly the whole thing goes wrong and you deserve the death penalty. He says, that's not the case. What it was there for was to remind you that God is giving you life and healing. And that's exactly what Jesus should do for this woman on the Sabbath day. Because it was always a day for rest and rejuvenation and life. And that's why Jesus says in another place that the Sabbath was made for man. It was a day that he gave, that he chose to give life. Like he did in creation. To give freedom like he did in the Exodus. To give joy like he did in the temple worship. And to give healing like he did on this Saturday in the synagogue. The pattern of the Sabbath day is more than a nice treat at the end of the week. It's an expression of the fact that Yahweh is a God of grace. And now that brings us to Hebrews chapter 4 and ultimately the best expression of grace that you find woven into this concept of the Sabbath day. When you get to Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 8... Starting in verse 8, he's been talking about Joshua and about bringing them into the land of rest. And he says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Ultimately, the Sabbath is a glance toward heaven. It shows us that after a life of work, after a time of work, there is a time allotted where God gives blessed rest. What a cool idea. What an exciting possibility. What a comforting notion that God promises rest in himself to those who have worked diligently for the time that passes here on earth. And so do you want to find rest in him? Do you want to enjoy the blessing that is the Sabbath day and that it has always been pointing to? I realize that Sunday is not the Sabbath day, but it does carry some of the same message of redemption and freedom and victory in the fact that Sunday is the day that Christ rose from the dead. There's new life built into the idea of Sunday, just like there was new life built into that creation idea of the Sabbath. And what better day then, what better day for somebody to find rest and hope and redemption and healing and joy in Christ than on a Sunday? 
and specifically than this Sunday. So if there's somebody that wants to give your life to God and you want to be, to be assured of the promise of his Sabbath rest that remains for the children of God, and you want to talk to us and find out more about what that means and what that looks like, then why don't you talk to me or to one of the shepherds and you can do that by coming forward while we stand and sing this hymn together.